What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and I'm going to be your host. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeremy and Dr. Mike from right here in our clinic, and we're talking about how healthcare needs to be more like the UFC. There's just not enough well-rounded healthcare out there. Too many people are doing things that are not necessarily beneficial for their patient, but are beneficial for their bottom line, and that needs to stop. So... Have a listen. All right. I'm excited to chat this up with Dr. Mike and Dr. Jeremy. Should so am fun. I. <laughs> Hello, world. We've all agreed <laughs> Dr. Mike has the worst voice in the room, so please excuse him. When you hear that sound that's like screechy, that's Mike. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have a screechy voice. So today's uh, episode is really about how we feel like musculoskeletal healthcare needs to function more like the UFC does. And if you don't understand what we're talking about, I'm going to roll this over to Jeremy and let him kind of give you a start on where the concept comes from because it's really largely his brainchild. So why don't you start us off and explain to people what we're talking about here? Yeah. Um, actually, I, I wish I could claim this as my own child, but uh, William Brady of uh, Integrative Diagnosis is kind of what, what planted the seeds of this idea for me. Um, and, you know, years ago, I don't know if it's still on his site, but years ago, um, he talked about how the UFC formed um, and really what it functioned as was a, a proving ground for different fighting methodologies, right? Who who was the best type of fighter? Like you get to see a, a boxer versus a, you know, somebody who does jujitsu who's, you know, versus somebody who's a kickboxer versus somebody who's a wrestler, you know? Um, and, and you, you could see historically, um, the, the Brazilian jujitsu guys killed it. Um, they weren't very entertaining to watch those first couple UFCs, but, um, but those were the guys who were winning. Dude, I, re- I remember watching Hoist Gracie hug. I want to say Dan Severn. <laughs> uh, it was either Severn or Shamrock, and I was like, what is this guy doing? Winning. Uh, yeah, winning, apparently. <laughs> but, but it was over, and I'm like, how do you win the fight? Yeah. He didn't do anything. Yeah. So now I understand better, but right. carry on. But but so from there, it started to evolve, right? Because now, okay, so so these guys are doing better in this, in this, you know, this combat sport where basically anything goes. But it's a far cry from from where we are today with UFC. Now it's it's really molded into, okay, you need to have a ground game, whether it's wrestling or jujitsu. You need to be able to strike on your feet. You need to be able to, uh, you know, grapple and, and all that stuff. So it's really kind of, it's up the ante. You know, the, the fighters in, in today's UFC, I'm sure you have a much deeper, broader skill set than the guys, um, you know, 10 and 15 years ago. And, and, and at the end of the day, they've, they're better fighters. And that's what it's all about. Um, and you can see that CrossFit has done that with fitness. Um, and this may be controversial, you know, it's for people outside the CrossFit world or even within it, but it, it's a proving ground. Like that was, that was the idea of the CrossFit games. It's a proving ground for training methodology. And, and that's exactly what Glassman talked about. So, and, and that's what the affiliate cup was about, right? It's supposed to be which affiliates are, are doing it better. Who is producing a team of athletes, um, who can go in and take on these random physical tasks. So I, and I think we can all sit here and say the people who are winning the CrossFit games now, teams and individuals are probably well fitter than the people that were before. There's been an evolution. Yes. No. Uh, Jer- Jeremy saw me throw him some ice. Yeah. He threw it a little bit. <laughs> That's just happened. Well, so, so all I was going to jump in and say was basically that the difference between, in my opinion, UFC and CrossFit, for example, is mm-hmm. that yes, these people win because what they're doing is working. Mm-hmm. The, the major difference is in the UFC, the outcome is, is more 
I don't want to say the outcome is more predictable, but the process by which they determine the outcome mm-hmm. is more predictable, right? Right. right. It's me versus you. Right. It's it's this person versus that person. Someone's going to tap out. Someone's going to get knocked out, or the judges are going to say this person dominated the fight, and the fight is the same every time. Right. The games are different. Right. The games are different. It's but the but programming the changes process and all that. of getting fitter is still happening. Right. Agreed. So absolutely, the the test is different, but the end result is we're seeing more fit people. And we're seeing better fighters, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I just wanted to speak to what other people listening right now are yeah. like, these guys are idiots. They're not thinking about this. <laughs> right, that's why I threw that, I threw that disclaimer in there. Wasn't, yeah. Probably wasn't sound enough. That's but anyway, good. back to point. Um, that's not happening in the healthcare industry. That's especially with musculoskeletal health, right? In, in our domain. Nobody's asking these questions. The health insurance companies aren't asking these questions. Um, and so the market is, is very stagnant. Nobody, not enough people are trying to get better. And, and even the standard is, isn't even there. Um, the standard of care isn't there. Whether you're a PT or a chiropractor, it's just not there. Um, and, and there's a lot of things that are wrong with that. And I think a lot of physical therapists and, and chiropractors kind of know the backstories behind all this, where I don't think the, the public does. Well, I want to stop you for a second and, and not assume that anybody listening knows what a standard of care is. So when you okay. say that, would you just describe kind of what you think a standard of care means so a standard of care is when you have a specific condition you can expect a certain level of care from the person that you're going to see you're going to expect a certain course of care The, the the treatment is going to be like this you're going to get this advice you're going to be progressed along in this way okay that's good yeah um and so it it so I'll even go back and say, like, you know, going from physical therapist to physical therapist, right, it's going to be different. It's probably going to be a little bit closer than you will going to chiropractors. Chiropractors are a lot more of a mixed bag. Oh, yeah. Some people are going to make you hold a a jar of pills. Right. Just hold it. That's how we determine if you need it or not. Or stick your tongue out move it to the left. Insanity. Right. Um, And so the, the standard of care doesn't exist. And... The people that are suffering are the people that are suffering, the people that are still in pain. How many, like, I can't tell you how many people come here and we're the fifth person that they've seen. And each person's treated them differently with a different modicum of success, but they're still in pain. That's why they're here. And now they don't even know who to believe. So, like, they're telling me what their, what their massage therapist told them what's going wrong with them. And I'm like, excuse me? Like your massage therapist, like what is your massage therapist is not qualified to diagnose anything. And this is no offense to massage therapists, but you're not right. If, if you're a massage therapist and you're treating joint pain, stop it or find somebody who can actually diagnose and treat it. But the problem is, is the people that are diagnosing and treating it aren't doing a good job. And so it's it sucks for the end user. There's people wandering around not knowing who to believe because because there's no standard. Well, and I think that part of the reason why a massage therapist is listening to this right now just saying Screw dr jeremy's guy. a fucking asshole <laughs> and i have had progress and i have gotten results for people and he doesn't know what he's talking about and i know that you're listening even there's only one of you right someone's out there right now i angry. love you. i love you even though you hate me yeah right no you're but, but 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 here's the thing right yeah maybe you have been able to help people but the question that i think needs to be asked is not just who's helping people but it's are you maximizing the time that those people are spending under your care? Mm-hmm. Could they be getting more help from somebody more qualified in the same time that you're giving them the help that you're giving them? Correct. 
right? So I want to make sure that there's chiropractors out there who you're going to come into their office. You're going to get an x-ray. You're going to get stim. You're going to get heat. You're going to get adjusted. And those doctors would say that in 30 years, they've helped thousands of people. Maybe. There's physical therapists who, no matter what, you're doing external shoulder rotation exercises. Does that help people? Maybe. I don't think the question is so much about are you helping people as are you helping people as efficiently as they should be helped? Well, see, the problem with that is there's a common denominator in all of that, and it's time, right? right. So time will heal this. If somebody, you know, when they're hurt, they stop doing things. They start resting. And you, you introduce something else, some other therapy at the same time as time is passing. And so they're like, oh, yeah, that stim, that heat, oh, it cured me, it helped me. Okay, if it, then why are you back here three months later? Right. The, the classic story that, that that we get is, yeah, you know, my back used to act up once a, once a year and I go to this, you know, whoever and it would get better in, you know, about a week. And now then it started happening like twice a year, you know, it would take a little bit longer to get better. But this time, like this is my fourth time this year and it's been lasting a month, you know, and that's degeneration. Right. And that's and that's consistently poor mechanics and poor living. You just they can't buffer it anymore because and and why they're still in pain is because nobody's actually fixed the problem nobody's gotten to the root of dysfunction they've been chasing their symptoms the whole time well and in the, and in the fitness space what that looks like for those of you guys listening is every time you do a heavy volume program mm-hmm. your back hurts yep so it's like i'm chasing this this heavy back i'm chasing a 300 pound back squat a 400 pound back squat a 200 it doesn't matter you're heavy right and you get it and then your back hurts because you got it. So you have to back down and then you never go near it again. Or you get back to it again. And when you get to it again, you your back hurts again. Right. Or your shoulder hurts when you snatch. So you stop your program, you stop snatching, mm. and then you start rubber banding. And right. then in a month or two, you go back to snatching. And it's like, oh, the rubber bands work great. Right. Well, no, not fucking snatching. Worked out great. Yeah. Not being on your program worked out great. Right. Sometimes. Maybe the bands help for some people, but that's that's the the example of time that you're talking about. It's the idea right. that studies have been done and they've shown that chiropractic care, physical therapy, and pamphlets are equally effective in an eight-week span right. at reducing pain. Right. Hey, when you have an acute disc and you go to a chiropractor last seven days, if you have an acute disc and you go to a PT, it lasts a week. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're just healing. As long as you don't trash yourself in the meantime, you're going to heal. I see what you did there. See seven that? days in a week. It's the you same. Like that? Yeah. yeah. So, but um, because and, and so I think the overarching problem that that this the healthcare industry is facing is is they're focused on symptoms. They're fo- focused or they're focused on something completely subjective, right? That is you can't measure it. There's no. I mean, they have those little the little questionnaires and everything. You know, that's been studied. But when when and well, but even understanding that that pain is an emotion. That, that pain doesn't necessarily have to do with mechanical dysfunction, especially chronic pain. I want to come back to pain as an emotion okay. in a second because I want to let the young buck mm-hmm. tell us what they're teaching him in school right now. Yeah. Right? Because we have Dr. Mike here. He just graduated. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. Right? He graduated two months ago. He's doing a great job taking care of patients, even though he's fresh. Right? Sherry. He's, what would you say? Sherry. Yeah. Um... Yeah, regardless of what a patient with objective results might say. <laughs> um, but so, Mike, I mean, you're in school. How are they teaching you right now? Because Jeremy and I are out now eight years, seven years. How are they teaching you now 
to measure if your stuff is working or not. And by the way, while I'm on the topic, you got to get your CEUs. I know. Okay. I'm on it. <laughs> All right. So go ahead. Dr. Squeaky Voice here. Um, so something that they- I knew he'd start with something shitty like that. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to go back to Chicago. It's, it's, they're, they're a lot nicer there. You guys are from New York or assholes. But really what they're measuring success upon is these arbitrary functional assessment scores, right? So you take a, in Oz Westry, a, a, you know, visual analog scale and say, okay, is your pain improving? First of all, right, as we talked about, pain is an emotion. So it, whether or not it's improving or not, to me, is more arbitrary than most physical medicine practitioners. Secondarily, you take an Oswestry back scale where it basically measures a percentage of function, right? Your, your back is, is 20% disabled or 40% disabled. And it, and it uses these these markers of, okay, how easy was it for you to walk up a set of stairs? Mm -hmm. Or did your back pain hurt this morning when putting your shoes on, right? <laughs> One of the biggest disservices they can do or they do in chiropractic school is they give you these inclinometers, right, in, in your chiropractic bag. And then everybody just kind of says, laughs at them, puts them away and says, well, I'm never going to use those. And that was probably the biggest mistake I made in chiropractic school was let's, let's throw away these things that can give us objective data, right? And in the meantime, we'll replace it with these forms. Well, that can, you, can you explain to people what an inclinometer is? An inclinometer basically measures a, a change in, in degrees and in, in range of motion, essentially. So you can lift your leg up um, 60 degrees or, or 70 degrees, and this inclinometer can measure it. And they can be as, as cheap and dirty as you know $5 ones where gravity does the work, or it can be like a level. So we're talking about basically like a protractor for humans. Sure, yeah, protractor for so humans. isn't there user error with those? Uh I would say so. Yeah. Okay. I'd say there's definitely user error with I'm those. I'm only asking. I don't mean to mm -hmm. disagree with what you're saying because it's not what I'm saying. I, I like the objective finding stuff, but I watched somebody use an inclinometer about a week and a half ago, and they noticed a, a four-degree improvement in range of motion, and it was a goniometer. So it was a piece of plastic, basically like a human protractor. Sure. They set it up in the middle of the hip, and they measured an angle. And I asked them, like, what would happen if last time you did this, you set it up an inch or half an inch lower? Would the angle change? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, it would. Okay. I was like, okay, okay. Just want, you know, just asking. With anything, with anything that you're measuring, there's going to be an error bar, so to speak. So it becomes uh, how consistently well are you good at measuring mm -hmm. hip flexion or lumbopelvic flexion or, you know, knee flexion, so to speak. And how honest are you with yourself? And how on Correct. But a 10 degree difference for me in conjunction with a decrease in symptomatology. Significant. It's significant, yeah. right? You know, there's going to be analytic people out there that will will crunch these numbers and say, okay, well, the error bar is seven degrees, so I might have only had a three-degree improvement, and that could be neurologically based, right? My brain has allowed me to access more range of motion, but in my opinion, you get a decrease in symptoms, you get an objective change, now we're in good shape, right? As opposed to these functional assessment measures where, oh, the insurance company gets really happy that you've gone from 26% disabled to 13% disabled. That's significant. And from a nine in pain to a six in pain. Sure. Yeah. But as you guys said, a disc either takes seven days if you go to a chiropractor or a week if you go to a PT, right? Mm -hmm. I can rub a feather on the skin above your L4, L5, and then after a week, it's gone, right? That would be the creepiest Maybe. appointment of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... If you're into feathers, but <laughs> my, my, my clinician said, uh, African lilies, African, uh, lilies? African lilies on your back for a week and it'll help your back pain. Right. Well, and I want to make sure people understand also, we're talking about 
not resolving. Your disc injury is not resolved in a week. You're, you should be in the right conditions out of acute pain in a week. You should, you might still be in pain, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be that screaming. Somebody lift me out of my bed in the morning pain. Mm -hmm. Go on. No, and and it's focus, It's this emphasis in chiropractic school, at least where I, I went to. Shout out to National University of Health Sciences, Lombard, Illinois. But it, it, stop chasing <laughs> what, pain. What's the, what's the zip code there? The zip code? Uh, 60523, I think. That what might be Oprah. 20742? Nice. Was that what we were? I have no idea. 200, 200 East Roosevelt Road, call admissions department. You'll be in good shape. <laughs> I digress, but <laughs> they they have this vote. I mean, they take pride at my school at saying, "Don't chase pain, don't chase pain, don't chase pain." Right? Go, you know, tries one through seven. But now, do they give you the as Westry? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying you go in your 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 formal education, going through tries one through seven. Don't chase pain. Look for dysfunction, which they don't give you great methods for looking dysfunction. I'll be the first one to say. And then they say, you know, don't chase pain. Don't ever adjust a painful segment because that's not the root cause of it. But then you get into clinic and it's all focused on pain. So there's there's a disconnect from I've received my education. Now I'm going to go treat patients, whether it's students or, or Medicare patients, or you can weasel somebody into to actually coming to pain and see you. And how they're measuring your success is completely um completely the opposite of, of how they claim to teach you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, well, that's rough. And, that, and that's the, the problem with that. I know, Jeremy, you're going to get into it, is that that's, that's coming from the top down. That's coming from the insurance company. Yep. They, they need a way to have a, what they would consider an objective measure, even though that's mm-hmm. a subjective measure, Right. Um, to say that what you're doing is working. Right. And by the way, where we went to school, Seneca Falls is not 20742. I think that might be Maryland where I went, because yeah, yeah. Seneca Falls is 13148. There you go. Also a great school. Shout out to Seneca Falls, New York Chiropractic College. Oh, yeah. Tell them I sent you. Women's rights. So I want you now to get back to kind of pain as an emotion <laughs> because we're talking about why the pain scale is not valuable. Right. Um, well, and even to go in how much, how many millions of dollars have been spent on establishing those pain scales and justifying their use. I think that that doesn't get talked about either, which is also infuriating. Um, but getting back to pain as an emotion, right? Um, it's 100% emotion. Um, yes, physiologically, you know, we know what happens. Like when you, when you touch, when I touch your fingertip, right, there's a certain series of events that need to happen in order for me to feel that, or for you to, to feel that up in your sensory cortex. Um, and depending on how hard I touch or squeeze, you know, your fingertip, you might interpret that as deep pain or, or just, just, wow, that's just some pressure. Um, and that's going to change. That can change for you across your life. Um, that can change from person to person, right? I can take, I can line 10 people up and squeeze all their fingernails the same way. And some people are going to tell me it's painful and other people are going to be like, okay. Um, and, and so, so that's very important. Um, and, and understanding that, people's experiences deal into or go into how they how they subjectively feel things would you Um, would you mind kind of describing to the people listening how we explain to a patient in our office how -hmm. to determine if they're in pain or not and what pain means because because i get asked this a lot right i talk about this when i go to other people's offices when i consult with other people's clients and it's well, yeah, they're in pain but but to me that's subjective and it's it's important to know but it's not important to measure right so 
this I got from uh, from a Dr. Corey Duvall down in Asheville, North Carolina, and he kind of he categorizes things into four categories. The first one is insult, right? Was there an actual structural change to the tissue? Um, and that's what we experience every day of our life. That that structural change, that little mechanical breakdown in the a cross bridge or a cross link, it never reaches our our consciousness, right? It's just that there was a tissue damage that occurred, but we never even noticed it happened. Okay, and that happens every day. Then there's irritation. Now there's been enough damage to a tissue where you start to feel it. Um, it you know, it actually goes all the way up to your sensory cortex, and your body's like, okay, I feel that. That's something going on. So this can be DOMS, right? Yeah, I I did Karen yesterday. I feel my quads, and my adductors, and my butt cheeks. Right. I, I did enough damage to where there's been a big enough inflammatory response where that's registering in my brain that, hey, there's some damage here. Right. Then there's injury. Right. Injury is I can't. Right. So I feel something, but I can still do do everything. Right. And you guys can think about that where it's just like, oh, I feel my sh- I feel shoulder pain, but I can still push over my head. Or I feel something in my shoulder, but I can still push it. So you're not injured, right? Or or when you you're you know somebody actually can't put their arm over their head, so they have a pressing injury and a pulling injury, but they can still deadlift and squat. So that's not injured. Um, and then there's pain, right? Just ow, right? Injury is I can't. Pain is just ow. That doesn't feel good, right? And for some people, people that have never experienced. Uh, played a lot of sport or experienced a lot of physical trauma, DOMS is painful for them. Wrap your head around that, right? For for you, you, you actually like that. That feels good for you. For other people, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> and I've done that. I've done that to patients in here where you know, I had a woman with, with fibromyalgia. I had her do three sets of 10 reverse lunges in the office and she couldn't walk up or down the stairs for three days. That was pain. That was pain for her. That was that was straight up just doms. But the way her body interpreted that was, oh my goodness, my life is going to end, and I can't do anything. We had a patient who came in who has a hip replacement who I've I did something similar with. Right? Uh-huh. It was his range of motion had become very very good. He was not in pain on a regular basis anymore. The guy couldn't play frisbee on the beach previously. Uh-huh. Took him in the gym, had him do one set of ten step ups to warm up on each leg. Mm-hmm. That's all we did. Low step ups. They weren't even above the knee. Right. And. He felt like he couldn't go on because uh-huh. it was too hard. Yep. And he's not like a totally deconditioned, morbidly obese guy. That's not what he was. Right. He was nervous. And the next day he was sore from it and he doesn't see me as his doctor anymore. He sees you now. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. like it, it can be traumatic for people. But it was, but it's all about perception is what we're getting at. It's this mm-hmm. is perception. What is actually happening on the tissue level and what you are actually experiencing as a human being is not necessarily connected. And it's definitely not connected in chronic pain. Uh, another way, another area where I got to see this was working in the VA hospital and seeing a lot of war vets with PTSD where you're looking at them objectively, they're good to go. Like they can put their arms over their head. They can reach down and touch their toes. The object, there is nothing objectively wrong with them. They are feeling shoulder pain. They're feeling it. And it's not made up. They're feeling it. But there is physically nothing wrong. And that's what's really tough. And that's what's really tough to deal with because their intervention to get better is not mechanical. It's not to have hands put on them in a, you know, a therapeutic way as, as we would do in the office. It's they need to cut down and, and really figure out psychologically what is happening. 
Well, so I have a question for you about that. Yeah. We've never actually discussed this. Do, do you think that the way that we treat now, adding the strength on top of that range of motion, mm-hmm. some of the people who have this emotional dysfunction mm-hmm. would be, could physically resolve their pain mm-hmm. if strength was added to that range of motion? I think so, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking. I don't think actual, so that I don't think giving them strength would help them. Okay. In, some, in some cases, absolutely. But in strength training, it's an exposure to something that they're going to then learn is not painful for them. Got it. Where they're going to have, they're going to get to experience like, holy crap, I just put 95 pounds over my head. Putting a shirt on shouldn't be painful. Right. So the differentiation that, that, that I'm hearing you make yeah. is that these are people who had the requisite strength to do what mm-hmm. they needed to do in their daily lives. I'm sure there's there's some people that could have could have gained but some strength. But we're not strength. talking about the, right. the outlier. Right. The generality of that group mm-hmm. had the requisite strength to live a healthy, pain-free life and the range of motion to do it as well. Absolutely. But they were still feeling the pain because it was tied to their emotional cortex. Absolutely. Got it. Um, and I mean, there, there was experience, like I had an experience, um, of treating a woman who she was raped in the military, not by a bad guy on the other, on the other team, a bad guy on our team. And I had to treat her in the afternoon. I was treating her for shoulder pain for a few weeks and I had her in the afternoon one day. I'll never forget it. And she came in and she was drained. Like I've never seen somebody's posture be so drained. And in talking to her, she, part of her therapy was reliving that moment in her life and that's what she did for three hours that day and so when she came in she was telling me she's in the most excruciating shoulder pain she's been in since she started to come see us and to me that was a light bulb moment because to me it was like do i sit here and jam my thumb in this woman's rotator cuff and move her through ranges of motion which is probably gonna subjectively put her through more pain or can i turn the lights off have her lie there and do trigger point therapy to her and let her just chill out for the next 20 minutes I chose the latter, knowing that I didn't do anything to her physiologically. She stood up. Her posture was different. Her, her, the way she spoke was different. And she put her arms over her head without any pain. And she was like, thank you so much. I feel so much better. And to me, that was the perfect, that's a perfect example of understanding pain and how it's an emotion. It's cool to me that you had the, the foresight to do that as a student. It was, it was towards the end of my time. After... You know, I think six months in the VA, I was able to get to that. I was clueless <laughs> as a student. I had a demanding clinician, Paul Doherty, my man. I respect it. Yeah. Um. So how does so how does healthcare fix this? Right? Because well, I, I think I think that one of the issues that people run into with this is great. Mm-hmm. You pointed out a problem. Right. You're a security monitor. Someone's right. robbing the bank. Well, right. I don't fix it. Right. Great commercial. So. What does healthcare do? Well, they got to want to fix it. Like, that's the first thing. Like, like, let's be real about this. Like, if we can just get away from musculoskeletal health and talk about the healthcare system in general, they got to want to fix it. And if, if we can sit here and think that there's that people who study healthcare policy can't come up with a plan to whether it's, uh, you know, government or non-government involved, I'm not getting into that politics. But if you're telling me that people who study healthcare policy can't come up with a policy that can that we can have affordable, accessible healthcare in this country is is ridiculous. So the the powers that be need to let it happen. The people the, the other powers that be need to want to want to make it happen. You know, right now, there's no reason for insurance companies 
to be more proactive about having better healthcare for musculoskeletal pain, right? We just got a pay decrease in our office here of how we treat people because we spend, we spend more time with people than the average practitioner and they've stripped the time codes. So now the, the guy who, who spends five minutes with a patient, whereas we spend 15 to 20 minutes with a patient, we're getting paid the same now, whereas before he got paid less and we got paid more. Thanks a lot. Well, so, but which doesn't motivate him to do more and doesn't motivate... I, exactly. I, and, and feasibly... Demotivates us. Right. Right? If we were thinking about this uh, bottom line, all we care about is making money, okay, I'm changing how I practice. Rack them and crack them, baby. Cracking necks and cashing checks all day. But we're not like that. We want to we change something here. So to get back to what you're saying, how do we change this? Well, it comes down to the, the, the PT and the chiropractic associations needing to pull their heads out of their asses and agreeing, whether it's for themselves or in between each other, what actually matters. What matters when it comes to function, right? The way we, what we think matters, full range of motion. You get a joint full range of motion, it starts working better and it becomes a lot less painful and the joints above and below become less painful. That's what we do every day. Can we agree on that, PTs and chiropractors? Can we agree it's more than just cracking somebody's neck to get rid of their back pain for the love of God? Does that even make sense? <laughs> well, <laughs> right? But, 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 but I... I don't want the PTs who heard that to be like, oh, I've been saying that for years, bro. Well, PTs, you guys are just as bad. Don't right. get me started on you either. <laughs> well, well, PTs are really good. Well, I, this is going to be a sweeping, sweeping journalization. And uh, I'll give you guys my mail at the end. You can send me some hate mail. But uh, <laughs> PTs are really good. And I, and I talked to one last night at inducing temporary range motion. You right? found one in the wild? I found one in the wild. <laughs> okay. They were they were out behind bagel boys, all disoriented. <laughs> I said, come to me, I will bring you light. But they're really good at inducing temporary range motion. Right. And I think that's the really special thing about what we do and what 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 physicians do from integrative diagnosis is not only are we inducing range of motion changes, but we're mm. we're cha we're checking them Wait, to yeah. see if they're staying, right? Isn't that a novel idea? Right. And and it, it lets the patient know A this is working. B, it holds us accountable. Well, knows what we do are working. Yeah, right. Uh, you, you haven't gotten to experience practice without doing this. Right, right. I did it blind <laughs> for five years. I spent the same five questioning years. Questioning the crap out of my, Am I doing the best for this patient that I can? Until we we came upon this this system. That, thank you, Bill Brady, right? But I think even just before this yeah, leaves my know. mind, that it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability as a practitioner to actually measure and remeasure and to say, hey, patient, I'm not letting you leave until I improve your range of motion. And when you come back in two days, your range of motion better be better than when you walk in the office before I put my hands on you, better be better then than it is right now. Mm -hmm. Because if you if it's not, I didn't do my job. Correct. Yeah, you don't pay the guy to paint your house. Right. When you come home and he's like, oh, yeah, I started painting. And you're like, there's no paint on the house, man. Yeah. Like, I can see that there's no paint. Yeah, but I, I, I rented a machine and put down a bunch of tarps. Awesome. I I'm did stuff. You, I'm paying you once paint is laid. Right. Like, and, and that's the thing that I never understand. Yep. How do you feel? Oh, I feel much better. Right. Cool. Well, how about next time? Ah, it's kind of the same. Right. Oh, we're going to do this again three times for the next uh, eight weeks. Yep. 24 visits right up front, baby. Yep. Pay at the front. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th I think that's what needs to change for me. I mean, well, so, and I think it, it, it can even come from practitioners. Well, so the, the ironic thing about what you're saying is that the healthcare industry needs to want this change. Right. And they don't seem to want it. No. But yet the health insurance companies would, would be the ones who benefited the most from it. Correct. 
And that, that for me is what's mind blowing. And I've talked to the rep who makes sure that we get visits with patients in the insurance company that we take. We take mm-hmm. three insurance plans. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. For the most part, we don't take insurance plans. Um, and you know that cause you work here, both of you, <laughs> but, um, we don't not take insurance plans because we don't want to help people. We don't take insurance plans because if we did, we could not help people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing for someone to understand is if someone is going to say your copay at this office is $15, mm-hmm. our responsibility is 12 and we fill our practice with patients like that at $27 a visit. Yeah. If we were a two minute visit all day long, right. no problem. Come on in. But we're not. We're a 15 to 20 minute visit. Mm-hmm. So that means that the office and people will hear this and be like, dude, you're getting paid what is that, $71 an hour, $81 an hour? Mm-hmm. Like $81 an hour is not a bad rate. Get over yourself. To see 30 patients. But but the thing is, you're not considering, it, it, that, that money doesn't come into anybody's pocket. Mm-hmm. There are expenses to running the office. You got to keep the lights on. You got to pay staff. You have to pay to get that bill processed, mm-hmm. right? So we physically could not help people and stay open. At $27 a visit. Right. And the next thing becomes, you know, well, don't, did you get into this to get rich or did you get into this to help people? We got in this to help people, but it's also a business. Right. Right? Like, well, our, I want to our, ha- our, our schools didn't have a problem taking, you know, six figures worth of money from us. Right, but, but, but even even <laughs> above and beyond that, right? Like, did, did government get in place to get rich or to right. make sure the roads are paved? Right. You need money to make sure the roads are paved. Right. That's what taxes are for, Right. Part of what I want to do is make sure that my daughter can eat breakfast tomorrow and I need money to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't need to gouge you. You're not 500 bucks a visit, but right. it's got to be something that's commensurate with the time we're spending. Right. Um, and the insurance companies would benefit the most. The problem is the, the backlash that they would take if they said something like, you know what? Instead of spending money paying for visits this year, there's no health care coverage for musculoskeletal care. Mm-hmm. The minimum rate legally to charge for this mm-hmm. is 60 bucks a visit. Let's see who's still around in a year. Mm-hmm. Then we'll start paying those clinics right. a fair rate. Yeah. Like what? That's my solution. Yeah. Yeah. You're, like, my, you're a lot more bold than I am. My solution is the government does get involved. The government says the minimum rate that you are allowed to charge a patient is X amount of dollars per visit, depending on where you live. You just lost like 34 states who are listening. That's fine. Okay. Whatever. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big government guy. Figure <laughs> out your way to regulate it. But, right, it's, it's like this is the minimum standard. And I think CrossFit should do the same thing, by the way. Yeah. You want to join? You want to start a CrossFit gym? Fine, but in this zip code, your minimum rate is X. Mm-hmm. Survive or die. We're not fucking Planet Fitness, right? Right. So you know, you know the worst part about racing to the bottom? Yeah, you win. Yep. And you're at the bottom. <laughs> it sucks. But but what would happen if like think about the doctor who you're going to see? Because I spoke to someone this morning, a new a new client of ours. She's a CrossFit Games athlete. Mm-hmm. Not gonna name her name. Doesn't matter. Um, and she was like, "Look, I, I go see this guy because it's free. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't think I would go if I had to pay him. Uh-huh. I'm like, then you shouldn't go. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't go. Yeah. Like, but but how many doctors out there are still open because they're ten bucks or fifteen bucks a visit because that's what the insurance company is. Mm-hmm. So people just go because I guess it's 
at least my mind is at ease that I'm trying as a patient. Right. Stop fucking going. Right. If it doesn't work, stop doing it. If banging your head against the wall does not make you less bloody, stop banging your head against the wall. That drives right. me nuts. Right. No, that's, that's along the lines of, hey, how you feeling today? Actually, I'm better. <laughs> it, so, so I just wanted to, to, to the people listening out here, like that happens in the office sometimes. We have, we have you know, somebody will come in for their second, third, fourth visit. You know, it's early on in a treatment plan. And they're like, I'm like, hey, how you feeling? They're like, actually better. And in my head, I'm like, do you actually understand how insulting that is? Like, did you expect to come here and not get better? Because you just basically what you said, it just said that. Uh, and and I think that, again, is a reflection on the current state of tr- the treatment of musculoskeletal health in this country. Like the, the first one I used was people going to see massage therapists. So everybody, every massage therapist is still here and pissed at me. I, you know, I apologize, but it, it's another way. It's another way. It's just like like we're lost uh, in treating musculoskeletal pain. It or do you apologize that they're mad? Like, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, kind of sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I'm not taking away all the people you've helped. I'm saying the fact that you do not have a doctorate level degree and people are coming to 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 you for them to treat your pain. The people who do have the doctorate level degree should be ashamed. That's what I'm saying. They, they should be. Because they should be. Because you're not you should, going to them. You should be the cultural authority. Chiropractors, like that's what the guy, uh, my my clinician told me. He's like, chiropractors need to be the cultural authority on low back pain. They absolutely have to be. And guess what? We're not. You know, and and for PTs, and don't get me wrong, I have nothing wrong with PTs. I think a lot of the PTs who are out there listening to this right now, if we got into a room and we started talking about what we actually do and what we actually care about, I think we're going to come to a greater, a violent agreement. I think we will. And and, and I think that's what will happen is the people who are, especially the ones that are in the gym, and especially the ones who are, are treating people, they're understanding function on a different level that PTs and chiros have never understood before. And so I think there is a movement of people who want to get better at this, who want to understand it more. But I think there can be a better direction. And 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 and, and that's the other part of this that sucks that I want to talk about is that you can get PTs in a room and they're going to argue about how to get people better about minutia. And, and like what's what's more important. And then they're just going to like get get their nose out of joint. And chiropractors the same way. Like you're like, you know, I'll have a conversation with a chiropractor. And it's just like, well, what's your thought on, on, on the SI joint? And I'll tell them what I feel. And I tell them how I've done it. And they're just like, well, you're just wrong. And then they'll never believe another word that comes out of my mouth. You know, and it's it, tell me I'm wrong. You know, like people who are listening, tell me I'm wrong. Right. But I think what we all want as PTs, as chiropractors, is who, people trying to help people. We want to actually help people. But our eyes are not on the prize. Our eyes aren't on coming together and saying, okay, what are the big things that actually matter here? What matters in getting people functional and healthy so that they don't need to come see you? Put yourself out of business. Because when you try and put yourself out of business, you're getting more business than you'll ever get before. It's the truth. You know, and and, and people aren't asking. People don't want it. They well, just get complacent. So I, Or people I, are trying, but there's a quagmire of information out there tape this rub that suck this i don't know like whatever <laughs> i haven't heard this. suck this yet. oh no, let me one. try let me try these shoes oh i'm a runner in my knee here i'm gonna change my shoes how about you change your mechanics and your strength you know and your range of motion you put lipstick on a pig does that change anything no well yeah another pig has lipstick pig. On it. yeah but it has lipstick on it yeah perfect were you gonna say something Mike? if you're a shoe company yeah how are you gonna make money 
if you can't convince people that the, the source of their back pain is their shoes. It's got to be. Or if you're a tape company right. or a foam roller company or shit, I don't even do lacrosse ball companies make any money, right? It's Well, v- lacrosse ball companies sell lacrosse balls to lacrosse players and it yeah. works fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> like they need lacrosse balls in lacrosse. You would your mind would be blown if you saw how useful they are for that sport. <laughs> like they put them in their little sticks and they shoot them and it works. Yes. Better than <laughs> your little sticks. Little this guy sticks. just demeaned the entire sport of lacrosse. I'm sorry. I know there's little sticks and there's long sticks. Attaboy. That's you still talking about lacrosse. That's the truth of the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. Sorry. Butterfly catching nets. Tell my sister. Um, but go on. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, I mean it's it's hard to make money if you don't have a, a product, mm-hmm. right? And if you can't convince people that your product is magical, whether mm-hmm. it's... Is that what we're doing, though, right now? I, I, no, because I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> not. I don't think so. In my heart, I'm... Are we I'm, swimming I'm in just, cash, eh? I'm just are saying... Are we swimming in cash like people who have, you know, managed to find this miraculous system where you cross the bands and use them instead of just well, leaving I, the bands I, I, uncrossed, I, I, right? And it's I, charging well, money? I don't want to... I don't know what anybody else is making. And, and, I, and I don't want to confuse the issue that we could be swimming in cash sure and still be effective mm-hmm. um you know we're not at this point scraping for oatmeal right i mean no. you're new yeah so, so i speak for two-thirds of us potentially that's fine but 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 um but i think that what you're saying both of you what you're saying is is a solution that kind of came to me while you were talking, and that is, what if insurance companies, instead of spending their marketing money on just straight branding, if they talked about, this is what a doctor's visit should be like? Right? Like, market that way. Because the idea of... Because we can't agree what a doctor's visit should look like. No, no, no. But, but it doesn't need to be a specific, they should do this, then they should do this, then they should do that. It could certainly be... When you go to the doctor's office, you should be getting measurable results. If you're on blood pressure medication, your blood pressure needs to come down or that medication's not working. If you're going to see a chiropractor or a physical therapist, they need to demonstrate improved range of motion from visit to visit. Your pain needs to be less. Your strength needs to be more. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they need to specifically say, you know, they're going to measure movement for this long and then that for, the, you know, that's not what I'm suggesting. It's, this is what the standard of care looks like. If you're in an office that doesn't do this, please let us know because we don't want to cover that office. That to me is a message that I want to be on that insurance plan as a buyer. I like that. That's a solution. I think it's a really, like, I mean, listen, are you listening, United Healthcare? Are you listening, Blue Cross Blue Shield? should be yeah and I, and I also think that there's a certain responsibility that the patient has to have right and I don't, I mean, I'm not one to to push blame elsewhere right healthcare providers and insurance companies are in the wrong too for this for this crisis but if you are a patient demand results support the practitioners who get you those results right because how come healthcare is not a meritocracy Right. As a patient, you need to do your due part in creating a meritocracy in healthcare. Right. The best providers should survive, and the worst providers should die. 
Not, not literally <laughs> their practices, right? And, 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 and if you are a patient and you're going to a bad provider because A, it's convenient, B, it's cheap, C, I don't know, I can't think of they a C. They marketed to you. They, well. they marketed to you, right? You, you stepped on a, a foot scanner and all of a sudden you're, you realize that your, your pelvis Health. is out or whatever it is, right? You are doing a disservice not only to yourself but, for, but, but, but to an entire healthcare industry, right? If you stop going to these people, they won't survive. And the cream will always rise to the top, my friends. So I want to wrap this thing up with some really actionable things that people can do because we talked a lot about what some of the issues are. And I think that in those issues, the reason why we felt comfortable talking about them is we feel like there's very obvious steps that you can take as a potential patient to alleviate these problems for yourself. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that people listening to this have a very clear, like kind of a roadmap now. Mm-hmm. We're okay. Great. I get it. There are problems with healthcare. What do I do though, as a patient, this guy cost me 20 bucks. You cost me 75. I can't necessarily afford 75 bucks a visit for 10 visits. What do I do? That's a question that I think we need to answer for people. Well, t- to me, it comes down to when you go to the doctor's office. Right. Because what you just talked about, say 10 visits for $75, right? $750. Well, what if you're going to the other guy for way, way longer than that for, you know, a thousand dollars worth and you're not getting any better. If that guy getting you better in 10 visits gets you better, that's, that's priceless. But outside of that, some questions to ask, how are you going to know I'm getting better other than me telling you? I think that's a pretty good question. Like, what are your markers? How do you know when our treatment is, how do you know when this treatment plan is done? Right? And there should be very specific objective things that they're looking for. It's not done after 30 visits, right? Well, the first month we'll see you three times a week and then the second month twice and then the next month once and then, you know, we'll take it from there. No, 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 just no. Okay, that, that, that's, that's a red flag. It, it should be okay when you, when you exhibit full range of motion across these tests, then, then my hands have now become worthless to you, right? And that's the conversation that we have with our, with our patients all the time. And then we say, okay, then we're going to test your strength. And then we're going to tell you where you need to get stronger so that you don't need to come back here and I can work out with you because I'd much rather do that than treat you. Is there anything else? No, I think that's solid. I think that's what, it's I think pretty that's simple though, right? It, simple questions. But that's the thing. It's so simple. Right. Right, like the, the the girl I was talking about earlier, the athlete I was talking about earlier, she who who came to us who just started with us and said she wouldn't have gone to these other guys if it wasn't free. She was going to see that guy today, and I'm like, she's like, what he does kind of work sometimes, mm-hmm. but I don't really know what it is or why he's doing it. Right. She's like, so what do I do when I go today? I was like, you ask him, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing it? How do you know if it's working? Ask those three questions, right? And then you know everything you need to know. It's really that simple. And if you don't buy into those answers, ask for more detail. And if you still don't buy into it, stop going there. And if you're a provider, ask yourself those questions too. Yeah. Because that's that's, that's just as important, right? What Mm -hmm. am I doing? Am I actually creating a permanent measurable change? Not just am I waiting for the body's inflammatory process to to cool down. Right. And and, and for people out there who are like me, free – (laughs) <laughs> like I love free stuff, but my time is not free. 
going to see somebody for free that takes 40 minutes out of my day is far from free. What do you mean, you people? You people. <laughs> All right. I got nothing else. You guys got anything to add to that? Well, uh, just a little bit more. I mean, also as a patient. Oh, I always have more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but 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 as a patient, make sure you're listening to what your doctor's telling you to do. Right. When, when we have people that come in here and they have shoulder pain and it hurts for them to put their arms over their head. And I say, hey, don't do anything over your head for the next week while this thing cools off. I'll see you after that because I'm I don't want to take your money coming in here because all you're all I'm going to do is going to be appeasing you while your inflammatory process wears off. Don't go put your arms over your head. Right. Look for very specific details. What can I do? What can I do? Well, and I think I think just in saying that. Uh huh. I think you're discounting what you do next as a practitioner because one of the things that patients tell me all the time mm-hmm. that's relieving for them is everybody else tells them what not to do. Mm-hmm. But now you've told me what I should do. Right. Right. Like we, yeah, right. we'll tell you it's not a good idea to go over your head for the next two weeks because right. you're inflamed in that position and we need right. to let that die out. But what and you can do is sh- Russian yeah. kettlebell swings. Exactly. Right. You can still row because your shoulders in, in this example, you can you still have two good legs and a core that you can work to your heart's content. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just not training going overhead. Yep. Simple. Yep. But giving them things, you can but, do this, you can a, do that. A, a text from a coach today. Hey, my athlete, uh, she's got a hard, she, she gets shoulder pain with downward pulling. What should I do? Improve upward, upward pulling and upward pressing. He says, I love you. Right. <laughs> right. But- but it, it is. It's not only. It's, it's not only put yourself in a bubble. It's what can I do in the meantime? Psychologically, the benefits are mm-hmm. fantastic. All right. That might be a different podcast. Well, we have microphones. All right. Good, Good talk, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for listening to the Active Life podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did please make sure you head to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating so that we can grow and reach and help more people. If you're looking for more from me and my team, head to performancecarerx.com. All the help you're looking for is right there. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and the process is the goal.